so well. A lot of this when you're in ambiguity is it's unique. You, you can't always rely on your previous experiences to help you think through what the next step should be. And, and you might not know what the next step may be. There's multiple paths, obviously. It's, it's ambiguous situations. You're just trying to find the best answer with all the information that you can get. So you can't do that with your own perspective. Yeah. You've got to seek out other people and, and, and scan the environment for other information. Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Welcome, folks, to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Today, I am joined by Debbie Sutherland, who is the Chief People Officer at Shory. Debbie, how are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thanks. Looking forward to our chat. Where are you joining us from today? I'm living in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. Very cool. And what is the job of a Chief People Officer? What do they do all day? Well, Shori is a new company. It's a startup, a large-scale startup. So we're in the insure tech business. Okay. Making insurance not bad. Yeah, exactly. It's making it good. Oh, but good. See, I, could, I was trying <laughs> yes, to remember it. I was like, I didn't have it in front of me. So, um, awesome. Uh, yeah. So I've been, I've been here for um, over 15 years. Very cool. So, uh, and it's funny, we have it. Your, your family is in Vancouver, which is where I'm at. And it's just funny how... The world is so big, could be so connected at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So uh, how did you end up where you are? Why did you become a chief people officer? What do you love about the work that you're doing? And then we can get into some more questions. Sure. Well, I'm a Canadian, similar to you. I started off my young professional life working at an airline in Canada. And I think like most people who end up maybe in the HR world or the um, strategy center of a lot of organizations, it's because we were trying to understand more about people, how people think, um, how they do things. And so I kind of gravitated to those centralized positions. And I've done most of my career with startup organizations, large ones, whether it be aviation or renewable energy, InsurTech that we were just talking about, real estate development. I love the newness. I love the craziness of um, startup organizations. And I think I love what I do is because there's so many different behaviors. There's so many different things that you can do and, and help people with. Um, when they're in these startup organizations, because they can get messy. They can be confusing. Um, some people like it and, and other people, maybe they don't, they don't um, gravitate to that very much. Hmm. Well, in your experience, what has been the biggest value as a chief people officer that you've been able to bring to these new and exciting uh, startups and organizations? Well, it's it's interesting because I probably became frustrated with leadership programs in itself because leadership, you know, everyone goes to these leadership programs and they're amazing. They could be high level. They could be um, mid-level. They are good programs. People come back changed. They're motivated. They want to come back to the business and do good. 
But what happens normally is their line manager has been busy taking over some of their work while they've been gone in this leadership course. And they're like, where are you? What have you been doing? Let's get back down to work. And either the employee becomes very frustrated because um, they can't implement all these new things that they learned at the leadership program, or they just fall back into line and they quickly forget about it and it's business as usual. So I was really interested in the organizational design aspect of leadership, of how do you kind of implement all these key messages as part of the DNA of the business and how do you structure it so that all of these key messages are just part of our processes and how we do things around here, the culture. Yeah. Well, I find that so interesting. And I'd love to probe into that a little bit more talking about, you know, when certain people in the organization are leveling up, are going through that training and development where, and others might not have kind of received the communication or got the memo, so to speak. And so on one hand, you're investing time, money, energy into organizational growth, but in select areas. And then you have that you know, tug of war between growing the business, the capabilities, the people, and then getting the kind of day-to-day stuff done. So so how does a, a chief people officer or how does an organization manage that balance successfully so they can keep doing the day-to-day working in the business, but also work on the business and elevate their people? It, it, that's a good question. I And I had that very same question. How do we do this? I went to Columbia University and there was this great program there, um, you know, organizational leadership. And I was like, okay, I want to learn the foundation, the theory behind it, because we kind of all feel what it should be. We should all have these key messages, but it's hard to implement and get buy-in and get that real good change happening. But there was a concept that I learned at um, this course and it was systems thinking. Hmm. And it kind of just opened my eyes and it's like the light bulb went out, went on and I, oh, I get it. So you know, it's different than analytical thinking. It's different than design thinking. Um, so systems thinking, it kind of is, it's an old concept from the 1970s, really. It comes from the decision sciences and the chaos theory, really. But systems thinking is like the art and science of understanding people and behaviors and systems and permeating it throughout the organization and understanding that underlying structure that keeps changing. It keeps vibrating. I guess one of the the easiest examples that we could probably relate to in the business is like, if the marketing department has a failed campaign, everybody focuses on the failed campaign that the marketing department was responsible for. But really, was it just marketing's um, misgivings or, you know, not understanding of, of how to launch a campaign? Maybe they had turnover lately. Maybe they had a new line manager. Maybe they didn't get the correct brief uh, from the other parts of the business. So it really is not just one department. You have to think of the entire organization and how it ripples through the organization. So you think you're in a silo, but really it does change the organization. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. It's one of those things that uh, being able to understand the people and culture piece is one, but understanding that it's an organism and that's why it's like culture, like a bacterial culture and it has exactly. no yeah nodes of things that get connected and where i think ceos and leaders get lost is they only see their domain they don't see how everything is interrelated and 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 how critical that is for success uh, thoughts thoughts on that it's funny because the businesses they even if they want to be agile and they have tremendous growth we are still stuck in departments and silos and hierarchies and that org chart that's you know 
kind of like a pyramid. We're actually just changing um, our, the new startup that I'm working for. It's going to be a matrix organization from the start. Mm. It's going to have multiple line managers and crossing through and knowledge sharing is going to be imperative to share information because we really don't want to get stuck in those silos. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because again, going back to Shori as I saw it and to say, hey, insurance, but good. And I believe that not knowing more about the organization, that some of the things that make big bureaucratic businesses so challenging to deal with are those silos, all are those, hey, we're just in it for ourselves. Whereas I can see in that organizational design, it's part of the value stream to say, hey, how can we set this up so that we can make the most value for our employees, most value for our customers, and to actually support like a new paradigm in a potentially historical business that has been stagnant legacy. Yeah. It it hasn't changed in decades. Yeah. So that's really cool. The other thing that uh, stood out to me as you shared is I I was talking to an organization that they're involved in education and education is one of those stagnant been away for a long time industries. And there was a lot of resistance to that integrated organization and say, Hey, we need to work functionally. So I said, okay, let's have pony walls. Let's just peek over to try to work together. And it's like, okay, well, you know, you're dipping your toe into collaboration, which I like appreciate because it's hard to have those new structures, especially if the old structures are working kind of good enough. And so it's on leaders to be able to push that forward. So have you had any uh, resistance or challenges as you've brought forward that thinking or was everybody on the leadership team like kind of bought into that idea from day one? Definitely the leadership team, they knew that they needed um, to have a different, the matrix organization to be fluid and dynamic. And it's interesting because uh, you talk to a lot of HR people, you want to hire against that as well. You want to be able to find people who have that mindset. Um, Obviously, the book is about ambiguity and uncertainty. And I learned this over time, of course. (laughs) I made a few mistakes along the way, hired the wrong people because maybe they like structure, they like processes and, you know, kind of getting them to pivot over to the side and walking in and your job description's already changed. That doesn't resonate well with some people and they probably don't want to stick around. But now I think we've honed in on the type of people that I think really thrive in this kind of environment. And I think that's helpful. So we don't get those change resistant type ethos for yeah. some new new joiners. Awesome. I love that. So you alluded to it. You've got a book coming out or if it's not out already, uh, tell me about it. Tell me why you wrote it. Tell uh, our listeners uh, why they might want to uh, give it a read. Sure. Well, the book is called The Business of Ambiguity, uh, Demystify the Unknown with Five Key Thinking and think, uh, Behavior Strategies. And I guess this came about because, um, yeah, I've been living in the Middle East for a long time and I really wanted to kind of, um, you know, just upgrade my skills. And like I said, I wanted to know about theory and behaviors of the things that I think a lot of us HR people knew intuitively. So I went, oh, I had my master's degree in organizational behaviors and organizational leadership as well. And I wanted to do my doctorate. I really wanted to do some research with an exploratory mindset in mind is I wanted to know how people think and act in times of uncertainty. So I really kind of dove into the theory of ambiguity and uncertainty. But then I did some narratives. I I had um, interviews 
with senior executives, the CEOs and the ministers, uh, well, not the ministers, but, um, you know, CEOs of multinationals here in the UAE who had already proven that they've been um, able to thrive in this environment. And it was really, really interesting. And obviously I did my dissertation on it and it came out to these wonderful, obviously you want to solve the world when you (laughs) start your research, but you really kind of have to hone it in. But what happened when I interviewed these executives is all of these coding and all these narratives that they that they um, were giving to me, all these amazing stories of how they learned how to thrive in ambiguity, came down to distilled down to like five codes or five big categories, and that became part of my research, of course. And if you've ever re- read a disser- dissertation, there's only four people in the world who ever read it. It's just so obtuse. It's so dense. Uh, my husband, who loves me dearly couldn't get past first chapter one. So I knew it had to be a book. It had to have practicality. I'm an academic practitioner at heart. So I really wanted a book that somebody could pick up, have some great guidelines of how they could implement some some good processes in place that help people how they think and how they act and how can it help the business. Awesome. And a quick summary, what are the five things if you're willing to share? Yeah, absolutely. Can I'll I'll start off by saying what I was looking for in the book, right? So I had three questions. I wanted to know what were the behaviors and the thinking patterns of of people who are in conditions of ambiguity. I wanted to know so kind of like how they think. And then the second question is what experiences and events um, provide the foundation in the development of an ambiguity mindset, kind of the little outer sphere. And then the third one was what relationship systems and elements in the environment enable leaders to develop this thinking capacity. So if you look at my hands, it's my, my around my head, it emanates a little bit farther and farther. So I just wanted to know what was happening in the entire spectrum. And interestingly enough, when the codes all came out, the five strategies, the interesting part was it wasn't just a thinking strategy that these executives were using. It was also behaviors, which I thought was quite interesting. And the first one is, is, you know, obviously it resonated with me. It says creating powerful insights through critical reflection. So these executives were, um, had already learned the skills of how to be a critical reflector, which is not necessarily just looking backwards to um, understand what had happened. And how, but it, critical reflection is more about reflecting back and then creating a behavior change for the future so that they've learned something and they can move forward. The other one was cultivate adaptable mental models. They um, had no problem changing their mind if they had new information coming in. And this comes down to maybe that stubborn executive that you sometimes run into. They're an expert. So they get the expert mindset and they kind of get into a deep thinking rut. And these are all wonderful leadership competencies that everybody has heard about. But when you're in ambiguity, It kind of, um, you really have to start thinking differently so that you can get through it. They also were quite comfortable in the unknown. They learned to lean in to these ambiguity, um, uncertain moments that they had. They spend their time actually seeking them out Mm. because they're not afraid of them anymore. So they've kind of demystified that fear. And what the last two ones were really about learning about people in the context and the environment they really got to know people and understand them and then harness that power from 
the external networks. So again, the, the, the results came in the same way that the questions did. They emanated from the self to the business and then to the environment, and they were fluid in their thinking and behaviors to try to capture all of that. Awesome. It's kind of the long answer. <laughs> well, I mean, I would imagine that if you did a dissertation on it and that that is like, or at least that, that that's the short answer to the long piece. But uh, no, I, I really like that. And what I think is so powerful for all leaders to consider, I, mean, I guess it's two-pronged, uh, taking out of that is, what are the characteristics that one can look at, look for and foster in oneself to be better prepared for uncertainty? Because I know people who do not like that at all, and some people thrive in it. The, the other piece is when you're building your team, you know, on paper, how can you be trained to look out for those things? Like what are, you know, the environments that might have fostered the ability to lean into uncertainty? And if you look for those kind of formative pieces, then I think it provides you a better lens to see, hey, you know, are these the people that I'm looking for? Now, you might not want people who are good with uncertainty and you want them to be kind of, we'll call it consistent or I don't know the word, but I think it's being able to know what you're looking for will help you better spot it if that's what you need on your team. And it's really, really cool, Debbie, that you've taken that all through science and research, not just kind of gut feel. And I think that's really, really powerful. Uh, any other thoughts on that before we finish up? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. So, I mean, if anyone wanted to take away the simple answer, it would be uh, be curious. Because sometimes if you're not curious and asking questions, you're probably leaning towards judgment and your own opinion, and that becomes narrow. Mm. So well, a lot of this when you're in ambiguity is it's unique. You, you can't always rely on your previous experiences to help you think through what the next step should be. And, and you might not know what the next step may be. There's multiple paths, obviously. It's, it's ambiguous situations. You're just trying to find the best answer with all the information that you can get so you can't do that with your own perspective. Yeah. You've got to seek out other people and 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 scan the environment for other information. I love that. And I think that there's nothing more telling about that is you could have done that research from home like from Canada. But the fact that, you know, going into a whole new culture in the UAE, which you can't have the same archetypes that you used before because it's a different game. So it is the definition of uncertainty, which made you challenge it. And so that's why, I don't know my direct way of saying, that's how I know your book isn't full of shit. <laughs> I mean that in the most <laughs> loving way is because you've really like lived that experience. And so it's like, I imagine those two running together makes for a very, very rich uh, story and experience and communication. And I'm really so grateful that you came to share with our audience today. Where can people uh, learn more about you? Uh, where can they learn more about your research? Where can they get your book and, and connect with you if that's what you'd like them to do? Sure. I'm on LinkedIn, of course, uh, Debbie Sutherland. Um, and you can just type in the UAE and you'll find me. The Business of Ambiguity, type that in. That'll take you right to Amazon or any of your favorite book, digital bookstores. And you can find it there. You can find me on your podcast once we're live. Check out the show notes, folks. <laughs> Debbie, thank you so much for joining. I appreciate you staying up late to chat with me. It's been truly a pleasure and I wish you nothing but the best. It was thrilling to be here. Thank you and for, inv for inviting me. You're so welcome. So folks, my guest today, Debbie Sutherland, who is the Chief People Officer at Shorey. One of the things that I really learned in the past couple of years is that I believe the, we are living in a world with false certainty. 
And the past couple of years have really shown us that the world is more uncertain than we think it is. So your ability to prepare for that, your ability to lead people through that change, and your ability to be open to future experiences is what really creates not only a rich company, but a rich human experience. So I encourage you to look at where you can ask yourself questions, where you can challenge your own knowingness and embrace different opportunities in life. So I appreciate you joining on this journey in the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. I hope you have an excellent day and I'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We post twice a week, so you can count on us for your weekly source of content to help you grow and expand as a leader. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a review. We read every single one, and it helps us make a better show for you, the listener. Also, it helps more people find the show, which means we can help as many people as possible. We appreciate you listening and following along, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as Anthony says, until next time.